0: God, that he would
1: take our frame, the artisan, inside the paint, or breathe the very air, his breath.
2: Well, good morning, everyone. Hello. Is Bernice the only person here? I know there's not a crowded room, but there's a couple people. Good morning, everyone. All right, so it makes me feel like I'm not entirely alone. But welcome to South Coast Community Church uh, for the small group we have here and also for those folks joining us online uh, from home. I just want to open with a word of prayer this morning. And uh, Father, we just invite you here into this place. Father, we ask that wherever we are, that right now you help us to just settle down to enter into your presence. Father, we ask that you remove the distractions. the anxieties, the fears, the, all the noise, and help us to listen instead of the noise to the still small voice. So Father, permeate this place with your power and your presence and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, the past few weeks we've been lighting the Advent candles, and so we lit the candles of hope and peace and joy, which I'm going to do again now and then this morning we are lighting the candle of love and i want to read uh, from scripture i want to read from john chapter 15 and i want to read verse 12 and 13 this is my commandment that you love one another just as i have loved you greater love no one has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends And so this morning, uh, we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to talk about faith, we're going to talk about what it looks like to have faith, to walk with faith, especially now in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of uncertainty, I'm going to ask the worship team uh, to come up now, and if we could stand, and we'll just pray as we transition. Father, again, we just come here and we are expecting your presence, God. We are expecting to be overwhelmed by your presence. Father, we know that there are this busyness, this activity, there are all these things that we need to do, God, but help us to not neglect the main thing, that which is better that your word says to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so we do that now this morning to learn from him, to worship him, to be changed by his presence. So have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. I
3: just wanted to speak on that love that Pastor was talking about, um, and and particularly to do with this season and the miracle of birth of Christ that we talk about, um, which Genesis 2-3 tells us that Adam being our federal head, we all fall into that curse of death and sin, and that's the bad news. Like Pastor always tells us, we have to know the bad news before we know the good news. Um, And Romans 5, 15 though, it tells us that a gift was given, one who died for all, for all sin. And the thing is about that miracle birth, there's this detail in it um, that is very important that sometimes we can kind of read by and brush through, but it says that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which makes him not under that curse of death, because he would not be able to become sin for us and take on the sin of God and take on his wrath if he was not fully God and fully man. But because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he is a, he can take on our sin because he was perfect. Amen. But this morning, we're going to begin with just um, some songs of praise um, for who he is, for what he did. Amen. First and the last. The heavens declare his righteousness, and he is worthy of all praise. Amen. You Last song, it's uh, it says Tis so sweet." Charles Spurgeon uh, once said, "The earth has no words that can convey the holy calm of a soul leaning on Jesus." Amen. His love gives us peace.
1: Jesus.
0: Jesus, precious Jesus Oh, for grace To trust Him more One more time, Jesus, Jesus Jesus, Jesus How I trust Him How I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, for grace to trust him more.
3: Yes, Holy God, we trust you and we thank you, Father God. As we think about this season, Holy Lord, and the miracle of your birth. And how your word, it just all falls into place, Father. The foundations of your gospel, the foundations of what you do, Lord, it all comes together. And it begins with your birth, Father God. Your new covenant with us. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. Be with the speaker this morning, Father, as Pastor Brian brings your word. Let him say what you have given him, Father God. Nothing more, nothing less, Lord.
2: We love you and we trust your word. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I had a week. Anybody here have a week, you know? One of those weeks where it's, you know, it starts off bad and it seems to get worse. And every time you're kind of waiting for... You know, something maybe to get better. It, it doesn't seem to get better. It's just been a week. And I know I'm not the only one who's had a difficult week or month or a few months. And so w- there are those of us who will find ourselves maybe right at this moment in the midst of a difficult situation. And maybe you're not particularly and so, good, that's, this message is for you, too, because there are those of us who need you. Because if you're strong, or if you're at a place where you're, you're doing all right right now, well, look around you, because somebody isn't. And that's kind of what we're about, a learning community with Jesus at the center. But the good news for all of us is that good sermons tend to come out of bad weeks. And so I have a lot to share with you this morning. And sometimes people have said, I wish you would have kept preaching. And so hopefully at the end of this sermon, that's what you're gonna say. But I'm gonna, there's 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 a lot of material, and I wanna get through it because it's important. Especially as we as we look at the season, but also as we look at not only the holiday season, but the season we're in spiritually and as a church. Sometimes, you know. In the, in the midst of our struggle, we, we can't see him working. We When we look back, when we look back at times of difficulty, we can see God's hand, but sometimes in the midst of it, it seems like he's silent. It seems like, you know, we want to have faith, but it seems like, you know, where is God? And so this morning, I want to talk To you about faith. The title of the message is "You of Little Faith," and we're going to talk about how I got there. But the premise is this: God is a good God, and He makes Himself known. And I would say, even particularly more so in the struggle. That Christ has come; that the light shines. In the darkness. And so I was praying about this week's sermon, and all I could see, all I could sort of think about was like a storm. And I'm like, Lord, I just, like, you know, it's, it's a storm. I don't even know. That's what the image, that was the word. It was just like, it's a storm. Like, what am I going to preach on, Lord? It's, it's supposed to be, you know, peace on earth, and we're supposed to be in this season, and it's a storm. And as I'm saying this, and as I'm kind of, I'm, I'm preaching, you know, the general busyness of the season, and I'm preparing sermons, and I got Christmas Eve, and I got a final project due for school, and then in the middle of all that, this week, I had some really difficult things happening with people close to me, you know, that I love, and, and they were going through some things, and that affected me, and then we had some loss here in the family that you've heard about here in the church, we had some loss. And I thought of all this and I thought, Lord, how can I, how can I? There's this, there's just a storm, there's all this loss and grief and anxiety. And I felt like he reminded me of this story, and he brought me to the scripture in Matthew 8 24. Suddenly a violent storm came upon the sea. And as I started to read, I'm like, that's it, right? That's what it feels like. It's unexpected. It, you know, suddenly, now the, the, the point to make, just like a side point, is our idea of what might be scary ocean and these guys' idea are two different things. These guys were seasoned fishermen, right? I go out there, I'm going to be nervous, you know, a little bit of waves. He goes, Tyler goes out, he's good, right? These guys, for them to be scared, it was a big deal. Suddenly, a violent storm came upon the sea. Suddenly, even people who thought they knew what this was supposed to look like, even people who were seasoned veterans looked around and said, wait a minute, this is unexpected, this is sudden, this storm. Aren't they always? So that the boat was engulfed by waves, but Jesus was sleeping. And I read this, and I'm just like, that's it. That's what I feel like. I feel like suddenly a storm came. I'm prepared for storms. I know what storms are supposed to look like, but not a storm like this. And Jesus, it kind of feels like you're asleep, if I'm honest. I mean, maybe I'm just the only one who thinks like this. The disciples went and woke him and they said, Lord, save us, we're perishing. God, this COVID thing and the economy and, and and my job and and you know the politics and God, like what are you doing? Are you sleeping? You of little faith," Jesus replied. "Why are you so afraid, man? I read that and I'm just like, what? Lord, wait! I have. To, I'm, I'm supposed to be preaching, like." T- to, to them, like where, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? I just sat there before I kept reading. You have so faith. Have't you seen me work miracle after miracle? Haven't we walked through stuff even scarier than this, time and time again? Do you think I'm the kind of God who would be indifferent? To your struggle, who would who would be asleep? And he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it was perfectly calm. And the men were amazed, and they asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and sea obey him. And that that became the title and the focus and the conviction. You of little faith, why are you afraid? And then we're going to talk more about, you know, kind of where the Lord brought me with this. Because you of little faith, why are you so afraid is both a statement and a question. Jesus is observing a behavior. He's pointing it out to us and then he's asking us a question. It's an observation and it's an invitation to self-examination. And I think that's a great place to begin this morning. To an observation and an invitation to self-examination. Now maybe you're not in the place where when Jesus looks at you and says, you have little faith, maybe right now, maybe that's not where you are. Praise the Lord. But I think you'll get there. I think, you know, we get there. We have those weeks, those days, those months. Well, we have to basically receive that, that rebuke, that mild, gentle rebuke of Jesus that says, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? What are your eyes focused on? They can't be Jesus. And so with all our discussions and preaching and teaching on and all of our understanding of faith, I mean, faith, if you would say, you know, I'm, I'm a faith expert, right? I mean, isn't that kind of what I do for a living? I'm a, I'm a faith guy. I can tell you all about faith. I can repeat the scriptures on faith. And so I think if we're really honest far too often, when we have the opportunity to really exercise our faith, we falter. I, I do, I do. I falter. When I have a chance to really walk in faith, what am I doing with that? My prayer this morning is that we can be honest with the Lord, that, that together that we can be here, that at home, that we can be there, and that we can prayerfully ask the Lord to show us these areas. Because this morning, we're going to talk about faith, and we're going to talk about what faith is. And it's living and active, and it's life-changing. And so, Father, have your way, Father. I pray, as Izzy prayed, God, that your power, that your word go forward, that you remove anything that's not of you, that anything that's a distraction, that's secondary, that you take it away, and that the power, the truth of your revealed word remain. Father, convict us to change us, break us to heal us, and make us whole. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. The writer of Hebrews defines faith as this it's confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Or it's the certainty of things hoped for, it's a proof of things not seen. It's not wishful thinking, it's not groundless hopefulness. Faith is an important word in the Bible. In fact, faith is where the promises and the work of God are made real to his redeemed. And so again, we memorize the scriptures, we understand the principles. And so we could repeat, if we started to talk about faith, you and I, and we could say Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, we're saved by faith. We could say Romans 1:17, we live by faith. Romans 4.13, we receive righteousness by faith. Romans 5:1, we're justified by faith. 2 Corinthians 1.24, we stand firm in our belief by faith. Galatians 3, we receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. We do God's work by faith, 1 Timothy. Galatians 5, we wait for the return of Christ by faith. And we can memorize these scriptures. And we understand well the theological principles. And so we have these things that we understand well in our head. We've never really had an information problem. We have an application and, and so a transformation problem. And so what happens is like the disciples when we're confronted with the storm, we make the mistake of thinking that the Lord is asleep and not paying attention and so we become afraid. If our inclination is always toward fear over faith, we have to stop and encounter Jesus in that moment who says, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? Where where is your faith? What is your faith in? You see, the disciples had seen Jesus' work. It wasn't like they didn't know. Like, at this time in our faith journey, there's nobody here who hasn't. Jesus has shown up, right? And yet, like the disciples, when confronted with the storm, we think, Lord, what are you doing How quickly we forget, how quickly the disciples forgot. You see, before we get to that storm in Matthew, here's what was happening before that. In the first chapter, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Suddenly a leper came and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Man comes up, has this faith. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, Jesus heals this leper. It's important that you realize that this person's condition was so painful and disfiguring. But more important than that, they would have been a societal outcast because of how contagious. So more painful fundamentally than the fact that it was just a physically painful, disfiguring thing. It was the outcast of the outcasts. There was no lower you can go. And Jesus begins, and he heals this leper. If you are willing, Lord, is humility. You can make me clean, Lord, is trust. We're going to see that again. Then we have the example of the faith of the centurion. Verse 5, Jesus entered Capernaum. A centurion came, pleaded with him, Lord, my servant lies at home, paralyzed. He's in terrible agony. I will go and heal him, Jesus replied. Verse 8, the centurion answered, Lord, I'm not, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority when, with soldiers under me. I tell one to go and he goes, another to come and he comes. I tell my servant to do something and he does it. And Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those following him, pay attention to this, we're going to get back to this too, he marveled and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. More healing, he goes to Peter's house, verse 14, Jesus arrived at Peter's house, and I'll give you these scriptures, but I'm, uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to get through this morning, so I'm trying to get through this quickly, but I'll get all this to you, I can get the notes any week. When Jesus arrives at Peter's house, he sees Peter's mother-in-law sick in bed. He touches her hand. The fever left her. She got up, began to serve them. What if, what if after we receive our touch from Jesus, we get up and begin to serve him? Because some of us, we've gotten touch from Jesus. Like some of us, we had an encounter and he touched us and he's healed us and he's released us and he's done this stuff and we're just sitting around now. We were healed to serve Evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Again, this whole time, Jesus is going around and he's proven he's the promised Messiah. He's proven he alone fulfills prophecy. He's saying God's promise is at hand. This is important. This is the context. This is what's happening. This is people who've known the promises of God. They've seen God faithful to his promises. They've encountered Jesus again and again and again. And then they say, Lord, you know, are you sleeping? Where are you, Lord? I'm afraid. Then in verse 18, he moves on to a discussion on the cost of discipleship. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side. One of the scribes came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Don't we do that, right? I mean, don't we? With enthusiasm and energy and excitement. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. We get saved. We, we come to church. I'm a Christian now. I'm going to live for Jesus. And you'd think that Jesus would be like, Oh, or, you know, kind of like, you know, you know, almost like sugarcoat the journey and be like, okay, well, you know, that's cool. Yeah, glad you're on the team, buddy. Like, you know, something. I don't know, not what he says. And Jesus goes, foxes have dens, birds have air, and the air have nests. The son of man has no place to lay his head. <laughs> so Jesus is like, Will you'll follow me? You're gonna give your life to me? You're gonna be dedicated to me? Okay, just point just point one, you are going to kind of be homeless. Like, I mean, that's kind of like, right? In other words, it might not look the way you think it's going to look. That's the principle. It's not that it's going to look this way or it's going to look that way. The principle is we don't know. The principle is going, okay, y'all going to say now that, you know, just like, you know, I'll never deny you. I'll never like, y'all going to say that now. But when the storm comes, what y'all going to say is, Jesus, why are you asleep? Another of his disciples requested, Lord, let me go bury my father. And this seems harsh if we don't understand the context. But Jesus told him, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. Wow, Jesus, that's harsh, no? Jesus is saying, there will be other things. There are good things. Those things are, are priorities typically. But when I'm around, I have to become the priority. Jesus is making it clear that you can't follow me with 99.9%. You have to follow me with everything. Now, that doesn't mean we walk it out perfectly, but that means our intention is to say, not, Lord, I want to give you most of my heart. We don't sing songs. Lord, take part of my heart. Lord, I want to follow you part way, Lord, I surrender somewhat. I mean, those songs wouldn't even be good. But that's what we do. Even mourning for family, which would normally be like the priority, and it was also something of honor. You were supposed to do that. Jesus is saying, even the things you think you're supposed to do, when you compare them with my new commandment, with your new meaning and purpose, it's it's not the same. You're looking at worldly priorities, and I'm talking about eternal perspectives. So Jesus healed over and over by this point. He's fulfilled prophecy. He's proven his claim to be the Messiah. He's given priority to follow him above all else. And then what happens when struggle comes to us, church? Because you can, you, can, you can draw all these parallels from the disciples. They saw Jesus work. They knew who he was. They came to believe. They had the, the theological truths. They understood the law. Like us good church folk, a lot of us we're not it's not we don't have a question of who Jesus is we're not wrestling with that necessarily maybe you are but i mean a lot of us that's not the then why if we believe Jesus is who he claimed to be then why why are we afraid when the storm comes and i don't mean you know why do we get you know, we're human beings. You get emotions, you get... I mean, why are we absorbed? Why, why is it overwhelming? Our fear. If we're supposed to have faith. Verse 23, I'm going to read through this part again. When he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. Jesus gets in the boat, the disciples are with him. And then suddenly a violent storm came upon the sea so that the boat was engulfed. But Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples went and woke him. Lord, save us. We are perishing. I mean, they had a lot going for him. They were with Jesus. They knew who to cry out to. Those are good things. You have little faith, Jesus replied. Why are you so afraid? He got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it was perfectly calm. And the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? I was having a conversation with someone about difficulty of feeling close to God. Right now, this, said, this person was saying how God seems distant. And I encouraged them. We were talking, and we were talking about prayer and scripture and talk for a while. And, and uh, my tendency is to, is to preach because I have a passion to preach. Um, but, I, you know, I was, it was a conversation. I was encouraging and, and not so much preaching. But I want to preach now because that's a question for all of us. There's nobody who who walks with Jesus who doesn't at some point get to the the place where they say, how do I have faith when God seems silent? How do I persevere in my faith walk when when things are tough, when God seems distant? How do I do that? Because I I think for the most part, I mean, there may be people who are indifferent, but I think for the most part, the people that I'm talking to, I think we want to have faith. I think we want to actively walk in faith. I think we do. But I think it's easy for us to have faith when we're comfortable, when all is well. It's easy to have faith when our team is winning, our candidate is in office, we like our boss, we have money in the bank. Those are times when it's easy to have faith. You know, I tell the guys in Teen Challenge, it's easy to be a Christian here. It's easy to be like, you know, where's Dave, right? It's easy to, you know, say I love Jesus in the program with everybody saying they love Jesus, When you're out there and everybody's saying they love everything else, right? Then do you stand up and say, I love Jesus still? Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came out to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. I got I to tell you, I mean, and we're going to go through the whole thing, but as I'm starting to read this, I don't know, you know, where you've done. This has always disturbed me. I don't like anything about this story, and we're going we're to talk about it. Jesus did not answer a word. I don't even like that. Because, Jesus, this woman's coming to you, and she's suffering terribly because her daughter's demon-possessed. If you're a parent, like, there's nothing worse than when your child's sick, and there's nothing worse when your child's sick in a way that you know there's nothing you can do. I mean, think about that, because we read these stories, and they're just kind of stories, but think about that. She has a child, and there's nothing medical science can do. There's no medicine. She has a child who's suffering terribly. There's nothing she can do. Consider how helpless she must have felt. How the the level of, of, of profound grief and turmoil and difficulty. And then it says Jesus did not answer a word. And that just doesn't seem right. Why? Jesus when this woman is before you suffering, do you seem silent? And if I didn't know Jesus, if I didn't understand from the rest of scripture and, and, and all the experience I have with him, and if I didn't know the truth of who God is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it, it would be difficult. But I have to know he must be doing something else here. So then his disciples come to him and say, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Now, what they're probably saying is, look, whatever she wants, just give her what she wants so she can go away. She's annoying to us. They weren't saying, Jesus. This is very important. They weren't saying, Jesus, you know, we know we've seen you teach and we've been with you and we know how we're supposed to behave and all that and this woman, look at her, Jesus. She's suffering. You know, her daughter like maybe they were like she's annoying. She's going Jesus this whole time, yap yap yap. You see her over there? Can you do something? Can you get rid of her, please? That's literally what was happening. And so then Jesus goes from being silent and then he says this, "I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel." Now scholars have debated whether or not he means all of Israel is lost sheep or specifically to those lost. I tend to think he means all of Israel's nation is lost sheep, and it, he talks about it in Matthew 10. But I think what Jesus is saying is, I primarily came to call the chosen, to call the nation of Israel, to call the original plan of God, the people who were separate and set apart, back into repentance. My priority is to call those people back. It's like, okay, so... Jesus, you went from ignoring me in my struggle to now coming at me with some, like, it just doesn't seem fair. It's going to get worse. The woman knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. I mean, what does she have to do? She's come before Jesus. She's begged him. My daughter's suffering terribly. First, he ignores her. Then he says he didn't come for her. And now she gets down and she's begging, Lord, help me. So we know Jesus. I mean, he's going to say something nice and encouraging now. 26, it is, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, I don't know about you. But I would, have been, I would have been discouraged when he ignored me. Like at that point, when I finally, you know, if I came to God, finally got to that point where I came to God and I was like, my child's suffering terribly and I hear silence, I'm out of there. I mean, I've done it, right? I'm not going to persist when he seems silent. What if I did? And then and then, after I persist when he seems silent, now he's going to say something that I don't like, I don't agree with, I don't understand. So now surely I'm going to go away. But what if I didn't? What if I had the faith to stick around? Because all this stuff, it ties in. It's very important. It's very profound. You're going to see something that's unique about this woman and all of human history. This woman. The most unlikely of people, a Gentile, a Canaanite. And what does she say to him? What is her response? Yes, it is, Lord. She said, Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's kind of, it's kind of a little, little, like a, a little fencing match. She's kind of giving it back to him. She's like, Well, you know what? You may be right, but even the dogs get the crumbs. We're going to talk a little bit more about this exchange because there's a lot of nuance that's lost and I'll explain it to you. But then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. The only person. In all of recorded scripture, at all, ever, that Jesus looked at and said, you have great faith, was this woman. The only other time he even mentioned great faith was the centurion, but he said it to the crowd. He said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. This woman was the only person who Jesus looked in her eyes and said, you have great faith. Because she persisted. She persisted when it seemed like he was silent, when it seemed like he was indifferent, when she didn't understand, when she was confused. She persisted. And for that, she got a, an increased measure of faith. She got an increased intimacy with Jesus. And she got not only the need to have her daughter healed met, but she became literally the example, the one example of great faith. Not a person in the church. Not a Jew, an outcast, a woman, a Canaanite. You see, this area, these Gentile cities, they were 50 miles away. That means Jesus went 50 miles out of his way on foot just to encounter this woman. Jesus is always intentional. Matthew used the old term Canaanite because it shows that her ancestry, that was the primary thing. Now, she's a descendant of Israel's ancient enemy. Israel, I mean, the Canaanites, the ancient enemies, and now here she is, a descendant of the nation's enemies, coming to the Jewish Messiah for healing. Matthew's trying to point out that. Do you realize how unlikely that would be? This is a person that's not only outside the family of faith, but this is a person that's been an enemy of the nation of Israel. Of Israel. But she knows, it's bigger than all that. She knows that Jesus is where healing can be found. She knows he can do it. And so she persists through all of this stuff. And how quick am I to walk away? You see, she came to intercede for her daughter. And I think that's another, there's so much here, and, and my plan was to not break this into two. We'll see, we'll see how we do. But there's so much here. There's so many little principles. The the heart of this woman, you have to understand her need fundamentally, initially. What brought her to that level of, of complete, you know, of just surrender, of of desperation for Jesus was somebody that she cares about's need. What a model of intercessory prayer. What a model of, and in you, if you see in the exchange, eventually she's suffering. Lord, help me. She's interceding for her daughter and her daughter's problem. Her daughter's suffering becomes her suffering. She came to Jesus and made the need of her daughter her own. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. She begins that exchange by making very clear she knows who Jesus is. There is no question. Now, many of Jesus' own countrymen, didn't know who Jesus is. Jesus was rejected. And here is this woman, the most unlikely of converts, who knew who Jesus was. And then we see this response. He answered not a word. And again, we talked about that. And so she didn't pout. She didn't walk away. Instead, she did this. And make note of this. She became more persistent. Persistent. What Jesus did in response drew a more energetic, more faith-filled response from this woman. I mean, just think of the example. Just, you know, like church people like failed this like 50 times over. And Jesus is showing this example of this woman, what great faith looks like. And if we were going like, to pick an example like to illustrate for the church of great faith, this, this isn't the example. This is the unlikeliest. And this is what Jesus does. This is what the gospel does. The gospel takes the most unlikely, the foolish things, the imperfect, the flawed, the broken vessels, and he redeems them, and he makes them beautiful. For what? So he can sit around and be trophies on the shelf? No, so then we can continue to intercede. Our faith can be active. Augustine said this about this exchange. The word spoke not a word. And that was so unlike him. He who was always so ready with responses to the cry of grief had no response for her. Sometimes it feels like Jesus isn't responding. Or maybe perhaps he's inviting us into a deeper relationship, into a deeper understanding. Maybe he's inviting us to persist. Send her away, for she cries out after us. Again, we, they weren't moved with compassion. In fact, the verb used in the phrase send her away in Luke 2.29, the same verb is used and it means uh, dismissal with a desire satisfied. So it means if somebody had a need, the need was met. And that's sort of what that word means. So they weren't saying, like, don't, don't heal her, don't help her. They would just, like, you know, help her and ch- like, yeah, she's hungry. Give her food and get her out the door. So even though they kind of, like, you know, they wanted to do the religious thing, like, yeah, she's hungry. Give her, you know, yeah, she needs the healing. They had no compassion. They didn't care about her at all. They immediately saw who she was as a woman, as a Canaanite. You know, Scripture is so true about how flawed the disciples were. How they missed it again and again. We're talking about faith, and when we describe the faith of the centurion, which is a Roman soldier, and the Canaanite woman, the Gentiles, those are the people Jesus says have great faith. And when we talk about the disciples, those are the people Jesus said, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? I understand when people in the world are afraid and chaos, and I get it. I get it. But what about us? Jesus defined the focus of his mission. The disciples are irritated. They want this exchange to end, and Jesus wants it to continue. You've got to notice that. That's important. Because there's a reason when the disciples say, Jesus, just send her away. Jesus just ignores them and continues. He's like, you guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. She's going to show you something if you shut up long enough to receive it. She's going to show you what great faith looks like. Boy, how often are we distracted when we think we're doing the religious, churchy thing and there's somebody on the sidelines that knows that Jesus is where they can get a fresh touch and they want to get that fresh touch and sometimes with an obstacle. And so Jesus continues and she continues in her persistent appeal. Lord, help me. Spurgeon said this, she could not solve the problems of the destiny of her race. She could not change the Lord's commission. But she could do that only thing we can all do, she could pray. See, when it got to the point where, the, where it seemed like th- there was nothing else she could do, it seems like there were obstacles, she could pray. If as a shepherd he may not gather her, as a Lord he may help her. I urge you, Spurgeon said, who seek the conversion of others to follow this example, Notice she does not pray, Lord, help my daughter, but instead, Lord, help me. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, this is, we tend not to understand this. This is the most offensive, discouraging thing. I mean, it was silence, then it was silent and discouraging, and now, like, Jesus, that's totally inappropriate. Like, nobody was there, Jesus, like, Jesus, you can't say that to people anymore. You can't. That's bad. Jesus actually, what it, the so I'm gonna I'm gonna explain the way it works. Jesus is calling her. He says one of the little dogs, and he's using little, and this, you know we don't have the nuance, we don't have the volume, but they they believe, and I think it's an accurate. It's not just like speculation that he was using little as a way to sort of soften the harshness. He's understanding the way that culture has defined. And he's understanding the words that have been used against her. And so he's he's sort of playfully saying this. So he basically says, are you one of the little dogs? And it's softening the traditional, it's a Jewish slur slur toward the Gentiles. The Jews would call the Canaanites dogs. They were less than human. It was a a slur of the day. The meaning was understood. It called them dogs in the most derogatory sense. So again, we don't hear the tone, we don't hear his words, but they suspect it was a playful tone. And what we know it does is it invites a greater faith in the woman. The harshest word, the word dog, contains a loophole. And it says this, this is a Bible uh, thesaurus I was looking at. It says, the word dogs does not compare Gentiles to the dogs without This word specifically, this phrase, little dogs, was not the Gentile dogs that were in the street. But now Jesus is using a phrase that would mean the household dogs belonging to the family. This dog actually does have a portion, though it's not the children's portion. So Jesus is sort of playfully having this dialogue with her. And she picks up on it right away. And she understands what he says. And so that's why she immediately responds and says, well, you're right, Jesus, but even those dogs, even the dogs that are in the family, they don't get the children's portion, but they still get a portion. So again, that's it's it's not he's he's, you know, if we don't understand from the very beginning that when Jesus in is in his silence and in his explanation and in his what he's inviting is her to take steps of deeper faith, and we know at the end that's exactly what happens. So Jesus understands this dialogue. But so she says, even the little dogs eat the the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Again, her response was one of great faith. It was as if she said, Jesus, I understand the focus of your ministry is to the Jews. I understand that the Jews have a special redemptive place in God's plan. But I also understand that your ministry extends beyond the Jewish people and extends to me. And I want to be part of that blessing. It's especially meaningful in light of the increasing rejection of Jesus by his own people. So it's important, and what Matthew's trying to point out is like, look, the Jewish people, the church people, they got it wrong again and again and again and again on who Jesus was. And here's this woman, the unlikeliest, and she gets it right. And she's saying, I wasn't a Jew, I wasn't a favored, but don't I at least deserve the crumbs? The religious people were taking everything they had for granted, that they were thinking they were deserving of, that they were not. Get this, get this. The religious people, the people that were the recipient of God's promises, of God's grace, of God's special calling, neglected it, minimized it, didn't compare, took it for granted. They thought they were deserving of it. And here's this woman who acknowledges that she's deserving of nothing, but she's just asking for a little bit. Everything the woman does and everything that Jesus does is incredibly telling and incredibly profound and incredibly impactful. The problem is not that Jesus is treating this woman as less than. Jesus is very deliberate. He's pointing out, to the hearers, to the Jews, that she's coming from a place of submission, from a place of humility, from a right understanding of who Jesus is. And in the flow of Matthew's gospel, there was more and more of this Jewish religious establishment not wanting to receive. You see it all throughout his writings that he was pointing out that Jesus came for the Jews and they rejected him. And yet, in the midst of this, we see these two faith-filled words she didn't argue with Jesus her response her faithful response was yet even I understand Jesus I understand who I am in light of who you are yet even even though I don't understand it even though it doesn't make sense to me even though it doesn't look like I think it should look yet even I'm going to persist in my faith to get what I need From the Lord. I read it like this. So, as she said, like Jacob, who wrestled with the Lord, I will not go until you bless me. And as he, like a prince, so she, like a princess, prevailed with God and obtained the things which she desired. She got what she wanted. In fact, she got more than she wanted in that exchange with Jesus. We see it with Job. We see it with Paul. We see it with Jacob. We see it time and time again when people persist in their faith, when it doesn't look anything like they think it should look. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Finally, she received the most encouraging word for Jesus. I read a story of this woman in China And she has a ministry, and she passes out Bibles. And I want to share a little bit of her story I read about. Her name is Xu Ming. And when you meet her, you can't help but notice her hands. They're badly deformed. In her own words, she tells the story. During the 1960s here, the police were very brutal to us. And so one day they came to my door, and they shoved me aside. They ransacked my home. They tore apart books, photos, and many of my precious keepsakes, destroying them. And again, we, you know, we read stories, and, and sometimes they're just, they're just words, but picture that. Someone rolls up, comes to your house, kicks the door in. You got family pictures, like they're ripping them up, like, what state would you be in? I knew they were looking for one thing, she said, Bibles. And underneath my stove, they found one. I knew they could have killed me right then and there, but instead they laughed. They told me to give up that silly book, but I refused again and again. I refused. So they took me outside to a large open area in the city. And in front of a crowd, they tore off my dress, leaving me naked standing there. I clutched my Bible to my breast and bowed my head. The soldiers thought I was ashamed, but really I was just praying. For three hours, the soldiers laughed at me and spit on me. They stomped on my back while I was face down in the dirt. And as I groaned with pain, one of them began to beat my hands with a lead pipe. To this day, it was the most excruciating pain I have ever felt. They hit me again and again, and eventually my hands had no more feeling. I remember the Bible falling from my hands into the dirt. It was the last time that way I was able to hold a Bible. 35 years later, Xu Ming's hands are still deformed, but she's holding Bibles again. And on the busy street in the middle of Shanghai, she smiles and bows and continues to disappear into a swarming sea of people, clutching God's word as tightly in her heart as she did all those years ago, ready to endure for the cause of Christ. For this, to this day, she continues to risk her life to get the life-saving, life-giving, living, active, piercing to the human heart hope of the gospel to people who need to hear the truth about Jesus. Do you think this woman's faith has been tested? And yet she has a joy? And an excitement about sharing God's word. And so here we see this remarkable faith forged no doubt out of adversity. And so I ask you, when was the last time you shared the message of Christmas with somebody? In a country where we can. Where we have resources and opportunity. And we have ministry support. I think... Part of our problem, church, is that we still think God wants us to be comfortable. I would tell the guys at Teen Challenge all the time, it's pick up your cross, not your hula hoop. Yes, it's an invitation, death to self, ultimately to life, but the death to self part comes first. God is a good father, absolutely. And as such, he is ultimately concerned with our growth. If my concern was only what my kids think is their comfort. If I looked at my kids and every time they said, Dad, I want to be comfortable, I said, I love you. I want you to be comfortable too. I would destroy them. But I say, well, I know a little bit better than you. Why? Because I want them to grow. Because I want them to mature. Because I want them to be successful. And yet we come to God and again and again we say, God, I want to be comfortable. And when he tells us, but I don't want you to be comfortable. I want you to persist in your faith. I want you to keep coming when it seems like I'm silent. When I say something you don't understand. When when you read something you don't understand. I want you not to continue to run away from me. Oh, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? We don't want to be afraid. But we keep running to things other than Jesus. Paul, Romans 5, 1-5. through Writes, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's our condition. It's like, look, we're justified by our faith. We have peace through Christ, through whom we've attained introduction by grace and to, by faith into this grace which we stand and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. Paul's going, look, this is who we are. There's all these promises wrapped up. That's the reality. He's taking it for granted. He's saying, look, The people I'm talking to right now are the people who understand that. They've been justified by faith. They have peace of God through Jesus Christ. We've obtained introduction by faith into this grace. We stand right now on this grace. We celebrate and hope the glory of God. And then he says this, and not only this, and this is the part we don't like, but we celebrate in our tribulations. We celebrate and we rejoice in our trials. We consider it pure joy, my brothers. Why? Because tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. That's a promise. Why do we celebrate in our tribulations? Because they're going to bring about perseverance. We need perseverance to get through life. You know what else we need? Character. And you know what else we need? Hope. See, we don't like the process. We want to jump to where we just want to have, we want to have a faith forged by fire. We just don't want the fire. See, I, I want to be effective for Jesus like those people in the Bible. I just don't want it to hurt. Be uncomfortable. I remember having a conversation. We were helping somebody and they were, you know, taking money from people and all this bad stuff was happening. And, you know, we got around and we kind of debriefed after. And, you know, he was like, Oh, this happened and that happened. And I remember saying, Nobody promised us that when we did the right thing, that it wasn't going to cost, that it was going to always work out the way we thought it was going to work out. But what do you do? You do the right thing anyway. You serve and you love and you follow and you walk in faith. See, here's two powerful and profound truths. Give me a few more minutes. Everybody still with me? We're good? I want to get through some of this stuff. Suffering purifies faith. For sure, for sure, for sure. I wish that wasn't true. I don't want to say it out loud in case God hears me, but it's true. And it's it's beautiful when he meets us in those places. I love when David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I've preached on that, but that's the invitation church you can't taste and see for me i'm telling you my, my in my heart of hearts especially if you don't know him taste and see that the lord is good not all the other stuff that's out there we know we know you know the lies of faith a suffering purifies faith and faith is always active it's always active I'm coming to God, and I'm you know I'm struggling and, and about the storm because I'm looking at the storm. All through chapter eleven, faith is in action. I'm going to get through this quickly, but verse three, uh, Hebrews chapter eleven, verse three: By faith we understand the world's been created by the word of God, but by faith we will understand. By faith Abel offered. Subject verb. By faith, this is my favorite one, can you imagine this? By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him, for he was taken up, he was attested to have been pleasing to God. That's like the best one, right? God looks at you and goes, you're doing so good? Come on, buddy, no death. I mean, that's like the best one. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, verse 6. By faith, Noah prepared. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And how about this, verse 9. By faith, still talking about Abraham, he lived as a stranger in the land of promise. I mean, that's a whole sermon right there. Are we living right now as strangers in the world of promise? Maybe part of the reason we're afraid is because we're not living as citizens in the world to come, we don't have an eternal perspective. And verse 13 says, not only did they live in active faith, because now, like, I mean, this is like the Hall of Fame for faith. That, right? I mean, the writer of Hebrews is going, ready? Watch these guys by faith. This one did this. And you're like, wow, those people, that was, that was pretty good. What did they get for that? All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen and welcomed them from a distance. They didn't see the the promised Messiah. They didn't have what we have for all their faith. Why? It should be the opposite, right? They didn't even have the promise. They had a, a glimpse of it, and we have the fulfillment, and we can't walk in a percentage of this faith. And so I think, as I stand here, what's my story? What do I want my story to read? Because we all have a faith story. But is it going to say, by faith, Brian worried? By faith, Brian was afraid. By faith, Brian did not step out. By faith, Brian did not obey. By faith, Brian complained. Or by faith, Brian gave up. I mean, it happens all the whole time. I was just—we talked about it last week. I was talking about it to the leadership team. It had a horrible week. I'm like, this—you know this is why everybody. I actually said, "This is why the average pastor lasts seven years." And Darren, I love him, trying to encourage me. He said, "Thank God you're not an average pastor." Thank you, brother. But why? Because it's—it's hard. You think because I'm—you know I'm the pastor—and you think it, it's hard. I mean, just, I don't even want to go through it, but just one of those weeks, I'm like, I can't, I got nothing, you know. I see the phone ring, I'm like, I don't even have, I can't, I got nothing in me. to Empty. And then I said, Lord, all I can see is the storm. And then he says, you have little faith, why are you afraid? And that's the sermon, Right? when we encounter a profound truth of God's word in such a way that it's not words, it's not a story, it cuts to the heart. And in that, in that observation and in that, in that you know, that, uh, the uh, invitation to self-examination, Jesus meets us right where we are and he asks us why. And what he's really saying is don't you know me well enough now to know that I would never be indifferent to your struggle, that I would never just be asleep. That I'm in control. And in fact, what he's saying is how about if right now when things are so difficult, all you can see is a sum, how about if instead you look at all those people that are suffering, that need... To know the gospel. And how about if you served. Right now. Because when people get healed in scripture. When people encounter Jesus in scripture. It changes the whole trajectory of their life. People don't just encounter Jesus. And I mean the rich young ruler did. He encounter Jesus and just walked away the same. But either people encounter Jesus. They walk away the same. And it's a sad story. It's always a sad story. Or people encounter Jesus. And everything looks different. But man, what an encounter. Or is my story going to say by faith? Brian woke up one more day with gratitude in his heart and clung desperately onto Jesus in the hopes that instead of being a selfish jerk, he could love someone radically with the love of Jesus. Jesus. No matter what. No matter what. For one more day. So what's your faith story? Because we have one. Because it's being written. And each day we have an opportunity to grow in faith. To understand the truth. And the writer of Hebrews closes the chapter by saying, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of a country that they left, they would would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. What he's saying is, if you want to be a hero of the faith, you want to know what they all had in common. Their perspective wasn't just the here and now. Their perspective wasn't, wasn't to go back to how things used to be, what's comfortable, back to their homeland. If that's what they wanted, they could have done that. But instead, instead they desire a better country. They desire a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now, and we'll get through this the rest of it another week. That was probably half, so there's no sense in rushing through it. I think the Lord's got us to where he needed to get us. Lord, we thank you that your word doesn't just leave us comfortably where we sit, but it penetrates deeply. Thank you that you love us so much that you tell us the truth, that you rebuke us, God that you are intentional and deliberate with your exchanges and that you invite us to a greater faith that when we bear fruit, you prune us that we may bear more fruit. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us hearts like Jesus. We don't want to just know about faith. We don't want to just talk about faith. Lord, we want to be a church that radically lives out our faith that we love people back to life, as we say. And so, Father, continue to have your way in this service in our hearts. Draw us into a, a deeper and fuller understanding of who you are. Increase our faith. Give us an increased measure of faith, God, so that our faith could be active, So our stories can be by faith South Coast Community Church loved radically in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand as we close in worship.
0: Oh come king of angels oh come let us adore
3: Thank you for your word that reminds us, holy God, to be persistent in our faith, Lord. Through struggles, through life's trials and tragedies, God, may we be persistent in that faith that you've given us, God, and may it grow, Lord. Give us an increased measure of faith, Lord, as we love this world around us. We are grateful to you, holy God. And we praise your name in Jesus' name, amen.